Hello and welcome to I'm Not Doing This Without Alcohol. My name is Denise Ferguson from Fine Surveys and today I'm here with Mallory Dunn. Mallory Dunn, sorry. <laughs> it's sorry, a Mallory. <laughs> oh. Don't, it's one of those where it goes blah, 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 blah. <laughs> How are you today? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, whereabouts are you? I'm in New York City. Oh, how lovely. What's the weather like there at the moment? It must be cold. Um, it is cold, but it's not too bad. It's actually supposed to be colder tomorrow. It's kind of mild today. Yeah, we've had a really mild November and then past day or so it started to get really cold. So maybe you're getting it soon. So <laughs> Mallory, what's your business called and what do you do? So my business is called Smart Glamour and it is a ethically made, inclusive, customizable clothing line for people of all shapes and sizes. Um, so our size chart runs extra, extra small through 15X and beyond. Um, and it's all handmade by me and it can be customized uh, as you're ordering and it's made to order. Wow, that's incredible. What made you get into, well, one, fashion as a whole, but mm -hmm. two, like making sure it's an ethical, sustainable brand. But I mean, this the size spectrum, that that's huge. So talk me through it. How did we get here? Sure, yeah. So um you know, I've been interested in, I like to say clothing my whole life, not really fashion my whole life. Um, I was never really interested in, you know, designers or like what was trending or anything like that. I just really liked dressing up and I liked looking at other people's clothes. Um, that was how like my mom would reference people when I was little was like, oh, you remember the woman that was wearing the purple sweater? That's so-and-so. <laughs> it's just like what I gravitated towards. Um, and I didn't know, really think about it being a job until I was in high school and my high school had a fashion design program, which I was like, oh, wow, wow, this is so cool. Jumped into that, uh, started, you know, I had already kind of started teaching myself and my grandmother had taught me how to sew a little bit um, from home. And so I took this program in high school, made a little mini collection. Um, and in that collection, my models were people of all shapes and sizes, just because that's the nature of, you know, who my friends were at the time. I wasn't trying to make any kind of like statement with that. I was just like, I'm 17 and I'm making a collection. My friends are going to be my models. Um, so then I decided to go to college for fashion. I went to FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City. Um, really loved learning to make clothes and, and um, all the The trajectory that you get put on to um, work like kind of in a corporate office and like you know you're just going to be an assistant and then maybe at some point you could make your own clothes maybe so after two years there I transferred I went to Pratt Institute got an art and design education degree trying to steer it towards teaching fashion design um, did my student teaching at the high school fashion industries but there just isn't a lot of immediate teaching jobs for teaching fashion. I also miss actually making things myself, was like, what am I gonna do? Ended up going into corporate design just to see, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I like it. Um, I was not wrong, I did not like, <laughs> like it. Uh, I worked in corporate design for a few years, You know, started as an assistant designer, got promoted to associate designer. And I worked for a small design house that makes clothes that then sells them to Kmart, Walmart, Went Seal, Burlington, Ross, if anyone's familiar with those stores. So like very inexpensive, um, poorly made things. 
very high stress because the orders are huge number wise. So after leaving there, I started just doing freelance work and I was doing a combination of anything I knew how to do. So I was teaching people, I was doing alterations for people, I was making custom pieces for people, all types of stuff. And during that time is when I, I was having a lot of conversations with my partner, with friends, with like random coworkers that I found through freelance. And I was just getting really frustrated with how badly women and feminine people feel about their bodies and talk about their bodies. Um, and I wasn't frustrated with them. I was frustrated with like a society that has clearly created this problem. Um, while at the same time, having lots of conversations about clothes and how the current system of how clothes are mass manufactured does not really work for the majority of people. And my husband, or at that time was just my partner, now my husband, pointed out to me that like, that seemed to be what I really cared about. Um, and I had always felt that way, even back all the way through high school, but had never really like thought about it in the context of the fashion system and like, how do you fix that? And then basically the thought became, well, it doesn't have to be this way. What if I made a company that wasn't this way? Um, so did a small little crowdfunding thing, um, launched the company in 2014. And ever since it's launched, it's always been customizable clothing for everybody um, made to order. The models represent everybody. Um, and it's also ethically and ethical and sustainable, which kind of became more important to me once I worked in corporate fashion and saw how the reality of how clothes are actually made and how terrible it is both for the planet and for the people making our clothes um, on the other side of the globe. So yes, that also became a, a very important piece. Wow, that is incredible. And let me unpick a little bit. I hate yeah. that phrase. I'll never say that again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like that is an it's an amazing journey that you've gone on but it's a really hard journey too so how have you managed to scale that to a business that can then grow because you know as well as I do I mean less so you way more so but I mean the fashion industry is is really really hard to get into and that is why wrongly or rightly a lot of the industry pick a specific niche and for you to have such a wide range of people that you cater for that must then be huge is the fact that you are so ethical and therefore the body body positivity and everyone is that what kind of has kept you you know growing and making it a sustainable business um so I feel like I feel like I need to answer this in many different ways. So as far as like how I've kept it going, you know, it's been almost eight years now. Um, it's, it's it's kind of always changed. Right. So when I first started it, the whole first year I had the company, I was still doing freelance work and I would just take less freelance work as the company grew. Um, you know, the crowdfunding I camp campaign I did to launch the business was very small. I only raised four thousand um, dollars. And that was just to create the first collection, get up a website, do a launch event, et cetera. Um, and then I've just kind of taken it as it's gone. You know, I, I'd never owned or ran a business before starting it. So it was lots of trial and error. It was lots of just figuring it out. It was lots of being like, well, maybe I'll try this now. Um, and just listening to 
people, whether that's like the feedback of just like, I'm doing a campaign and it's well-received, okay, I'll do another one, or feedback directly like towards what kind of products people want. Um, when it comes to, you know, fashion and business being really hard to get into and to make small businesses work, the fact of the matter is that um, the actual percentage of people who know how to physically make clothes who are trying to be fashion designers is very, very small. The majority of people who try to start clothing businesses don't have a fashion education. They're somebody who is interested in, in fashion. Maybe they have, you know, some marketing or some merchandising, or maybe they've just been somebody who you know, as a stylist or like, has just loved clothes. And so they think, okay, I'm going to start a clothing brand. Um, and you're right. I mean, it's really, really hard when you, if you don't have the personal um, design knowledge, that means everything you do has to be hired out. Not only are you hiring a factory to just make your clothes for you, but, you know, there's a whole process of like designing, getting fit samples, approving the fit samples, making things, sure things work, talking about what's your size range going to be, what's that fit going to be. That's what technical designers do. And I think that a lot of the average person who just consumes fashion as in like we all wear clothes doesn't really know that that role exists or what that role does. Um, and so in the past, I've done some like freelance can, um, consulting for small businesses and, and also freelance technical design for small businesses. And they kind of, a lot of them get to this point where like, you know, if they've figured it out enough to get samples, which I mean, I'm impressed enough if you can do that and you don't have the education to do so. But then once they start getting samples back and they don't fit, that's when they start running into problems because they don't know how to tell the factory what is wrong with the thing they made and how to fix it. That's what a technical designer does. And when you are just guessing as a person who doesn't know how to make clothes, you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth a million times and samples are pricey. Um, they cost way more than production. So you are throwing tons and tons and tons of money at this, at this issue, um, which, so all of that stuff is completely avoided with me, right? Because A, I have the, the technical design knowledge, um, when I worked in corporate design, I was a designer. So that's not technical design. That's drawing and sketching and sitting in on meetings and sending emails. But my bosses found out that I knew how to actually make clothes, which again, very few people know how to actually do. And then they started throwing me technical design work and being like, oh, can you also do this thing? <laughs> um, so it's really two whole jobs, but people only really think about this part of it and they don't think about this part of it. So with Smart Glamour, not only do I have that knowledge that other people would have to source out for, but also I'm physically making the garments. Like these are sewing machines behind me, my hands make them. Um, and all of Smart Glamour is made to order. So while I offer a very, 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 very large size range, as far as I know, the largest one I've seen, um, it's also not even uh, constrained by that size chart. I make clothes for people who are below that size chart, above that size chart, between sizes. Um, because I know how to physically make clothes and tailor them to people's sizes. And in order to do that, everything is not made until somebody orders it. So I'm not trying to guess what style is going to work in what color, how many people are going to order it in what size. That whole part is completely removed because I just make samples from my models. And then as people order, um, then I fulfill the order.
I love that. And I suppose in that sense as well, you're already that, you know, they're going through the design process. They're telling exactly what their sizes are. They're paying for it. And then you're actually producing the, the product too. And then it's going out. So I suppose the time lag for you is the time between re- receiving the order and the payment and then having to get it out. And the only mm. friction for you is being able to do that at the same time as being able to market your business yes. too. So how do you balance those two functions then? Great question. Um, so, you know, when I started the company and I only raised that small amount to get it done, um, you know, I didn't have any kind of money to do like paid advertising or anything like that. So I just jumped into social media. This was back, you know, before Facebook brought Instagram, before there was business profiles, before people were like, you know, putting hashtag sponsored in their ads before any of that. It was just like people trying to figure out like, oh, I'll trade with you for this. And will you share this picture? And, you know, maybe I can try using this hashtag thing. Um, kind of just happened at the same time that I started a business. So I jumped right in with a lot of that free social media marketing. Um, came up with a lot of different ways to market over the years from um, doing campaigns that talk about all of the messaging that goes on with my company. Um, you know, do I do two run, well, pre-COVID, I do two runway shows a year um, that people are invited, everyone in the public is invited to come to. So that's another press opportunity. Um, and <laughs> up until six months ago, uh, it was just me doing literally every single thing, making the clothes, promoting the clothes, doing the website, taking the photos of my images of my models, um, doing the casting for my models, answering customer service emails, literally all of it. Um, and I don't really have a magical answer for how I was managing to do that other than (laughs) I'm an overachiever who makes a lot of lists and doesn't get a lot of sleep. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, about six six months ago, I hired one part-time remote assistant who took over like TikTok, Twitter, Pinterest, and newsletters. Um, which the bulk of that was just either not getting done or like not getting done very well. You know, I was really only using email marketing when I released a new collection, I would just send one email and that was it. I wasn't using it efficiently. I wasn't optimizing it at all because I just didn't have the time. Um, I had a Pinterest, but I never pinned anything. I had a Twitter, but I never tweeted. Um, I was really only focusing on like Facebook and Instagram because that's all that I had the physical time and also like brain space for. Um, and now in that past six months, that one person has, that one role is split into two people. And then I brought in two extra people. So I have remote help that do Pinterest, Twitter, 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 <laughs> TikTok, my newsletters. Then I have another person who uh, moderates a Facebook group for us. And then I have another person, <clears throat> excuse me, who writes some blog posts for the website and who does some like uh, background stuff on the website, like making sure the SEO is correct and like products linked to the right products and my happy customer photos that people tag me in on Instagram, get uploaded to the site, all those little things that like really just take so much time. And if you're the person that's physically making the products, um, you just don't have time to do those things. Yeah, absolutely. And I can resonate with the, I don't know how I did it before. Cause I, you know, I ran the business for, a long time <laughs> with just me and and now I have a team of you know there's four of us now and 
I just have no idea how the hell I managed it before. So I bet you're exactly the same now. But it does make a massive amount of difference, but it also opens up a can of worms too. So as soon as they start doing things for you, they're then like, and we could do this. And it's like more and more and more. And it's a crescendo, which is really important for growing your business and having that level of omnipresence, as they call it now, mm-hmm. where you are everywhere for everyone to see. But it also then means that you are having more and more um, people coming to see you and seeing your stuff. So then you physically become more busy. Mm-hmm. Is there a plan at some point that maybe you're going to have more of you? Is there going to be another, you know, seamstress, another dressmaker, another clothing maker? <clears throat> I mean... That's happened only once in this whole time I've had a business. Back in 2015, I had a three-month-long pop-up store, and the store had a little studio in the back. And so when I had that space, I had two part-time design assistants. Um, Just currently, the way my studio is laid out now um, and located, I can't have that kind of help. Um, Yes, it would be lovely to kind of like reimagine that pop-up idea into some kind of longer-term space. Um, and if I did that, I would also, yes, probably hire um, a design-based assistant to help. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just it just depends on the, on the circumstances and, and the pricing. You know, I live in New York City, so uh, actual physical spaces to rent are very expensive. So um, it really changes the game in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm definitely not going to do it until I feel it's a financially sound choice to do. Would you ever do a, a collection for another, you know, store to hold? So I don't do um, reselling uh, to boutiques in any way um, for a, a few different reasons. The first being honestly just the pricing. So ethical clothing um, is usually very expensive and um, for the consumer um, because people are actually being paid a living wage to make it. Um, and when you are a designer who makes clothes and then you sell those clothes to a boutique, the boutique then has to raise the price again, obviously. So they can also make a living to sell to people. And, um, part of the tenets of smart glamour is accessibility. And I believe that accessibility is important, not all, not just in size, but also in pricing. Um, so it's just direct to consumer. So I can keep that price as low as I can for folks. And the second thing would be that so much of smart glamour is being able to customize the clothing to exactly what you want. And if I'm just making a bunch of you know, this one dress just as it is in a set size, and then I'm just putting it in a store, um, for someone else to sell on my behalf, all of that part of it is missing. You know, the you know it's it's might be lovely for a person um, to stumble in and just love that dress and buy it, but they've then lost all opportunities to customize it and make it exactly what they want or exactly what they need, and they've also lost the whole like visual messaging behind my brand and all of the educational parts. So like. Yes, they walked away with one dress um, and that's great, but the the point of the brand is much, much larger than that. Um, so I don't, I don't really want to divorce that part of the brand to just like sell a dress in a store. Yeah, no, I love that message and it makes complete sense to me. So I applaud you for sticking to your brand principles. I think it's, no, but it's really important, isn't it? Because people buy from you because they understand the journey that you go through in order to make it but also the journey mm-hmm. that they're going to then go on to when they're we- when they're wearing your clothing and how you know it's not fast fa- fast fashion and it is you know 
for the longevity of the brand and they and 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 the actual clothing and they wear those clothing and purchase that clothing because they want to wear something that has a shelf life and you know the cost per wear is you know supersedes anything that you can get from you know the walmarks and everything that you have over there or the you know primarks that we have over here so it's it is important to get that brand message across and how did you work on getting that brand message across or did you do it organically like you said where you just showed up as you and then have got your team to then learn the language of which is important to you with your brand yeah I would say that the majority of it is just really organic and authentic um you know I'm very clear all over social media that Smart Glamour is a small business that is self-funded that, you know, up until six months ago was truly just me. When I hired this part-time team, I introduced them all to on social media. I was very clear about what platforms each of them is going to be hosting. And also that if somebody leaves a comment or sends a DM, I'm still the one that's answering it. So anytime somebody is talking with Smart Glamour, they're talking to me. Um, And I'm also very specific about the content that is made. A lot of the content that's being made on my behalf for Pinterest and TikTok, et cetera, is kind of like remade content from some, from things that I've already done. You know, I, as I mentioned, um, am in charge of Instagram and Facebook, and I've been making content on those platforms for almost eight years. I have a whole YouTube channel full of content I've made for eight years. You know, I have past blog posts that I've done for eight years. So, So, Um, I am very much like just, you know, I hired this team to be able to look at that content and like repackage that message for these various platforms that I just don't have the time to do. And then I would say that, you know, something that I've said a million times over the years is that Smart Glamour is much more a person forward brand than it actually is even a clothing brand. Like, yes, at the end of the day, you get clothes, but as I mentioned, when I'm talking about why I'm not just selling in a store, there's so much conversation and education that goes into selling clothes the way that I do. And I'm sharing a lot of information, not just about how I do things, but also how the fashion industry does things and why I don't agree with the way they do it and why what they do can be very frustrating to consumers. So I also do a lot of time educating folks with my fashion design knowledge and my corporate fashion experience knowledge, just so people can feel um, more like they're in charge of their own uh, shopping outcomes and like have this ownership um, of what, of how they buy things online um, and how they interact with brands. You know, sometimes people will DM me and be like, I'm sure you're not even gonna see this. Or when I fi- when I answer DM, they're like, oh my God, thanks so much for responding. Like. I just think so much of social media when it comes to companies has become about putting up an image of yourself and not so much about authentically interacting with your consumers, which is such a miss because that's the point of social media. It's called social media because it's social. So like you really do need to be interacting with people, talking to people, making them feel seen and heard and validated. Um, you know, the majority of the fashion industry, if we circle back to what I said at the beginning, has created this industry off of pretension and exclusion and um, putting a hierarchy on people's bodies and thinking that if you make people feel bad about themselves, they'll want to buy your products so they feel better. 
um, which clearly works. Lots of people spend their money that way, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can also make people feel seen and validated um, and they will also spend their money with you because you made them feel good. It doesn't have to be a negative experience. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think people buy from people. So right. they need to understand that, you know, you can go and buy, well, you can go and buy fashion anywhere. You can go buy clothing anywhere. You can go and buy sustainable fashion on less available places, but you can find it. But mm-hmm. people are going to want it from you specifically or any of your anyone's services from that person specifically because they believe in exactly what that person has to offer to them and especially when you know there's that that contract of your time and your communication on those social media platforms you are Mm. offering your yourself your personality your brand to people in exchange for them to offer themselves back and if you're not Mm -hmm. actually giving yourself and you're just you know kind of have a, a corporate message there's no kind of there's no exchange there's no interaction you don't you don't go on to social media to have a conversation with you know Gucci or Prada because there is no conversation it's this is what this is what I have buy it or not so when it comes to your type of brand and and anyone else who has a kind of personal brand there has to be that backwards and forwards it's it's vital for a business to have that and for people to really understand the ethos of of what's going on behind the actual physical production of clothing a hundred percent and I actually just had so um one thing that I do since you know I know that the way that people shop with clothes for me is very different from the way that they shop with clothes for clothes with the mass market um and so a lot of people don't know their measurements. They're guessing their measurements. They're not looking at size charts. If they look at a size chart, they're just using like looking at a numerical size and, and picking that instead of checking their own measurements um, for a number of reasons. I actually just recently did a poll about this in my stories and then addressed every single person's or you know, if somebody repeated uh, reasons, I addressed every single reason um, that folks do what they do and, and how they shop and why they shop in certain ways. Um, and sometimes it's an emotional reason. Sometimes it's just an access reason. Sometimes it's, um, you know, physically not being able to measure yourself because you may be disabled. There's a million different reasons that people shop in the way that they do. Um, and so one thing that I do is I offer free virtual consults where people can, um, chat with me for about 15-ish minutes, and I will teach them how to measure themselves. I measure myself along with them um, to help them do it correctly. Then I give them suggestions on sizing and on customizations that would help them get something fit like it's made for them because it truly is. Um, and I, uh, in order to do that, as you're just mentioning, like everything that I share and all the stuff that I talk about is to make people feel that they are safe with me especially if they are from a marginalized group and they can't shop elsewhere. Um, Maybe they're sized out everywhere else. You know, those people need to feel uh, safe uh, to be vulnerable with you. And when I was posting about this in my story, um, a few different people all messaged me saying, you know, I've I've done virtual measurement session with you. And um, before I did it, I was so nervous because even though I follow you here, like, Sometimes people say that they are truly inclusive and they care about people, but it's really just like their brand messaging. And in real life, they aren't that person and they don't know how to be um, truly safe and inclusive for people. 
And, you know, people are presently surprised when I am, when I do truly always use body neutral language, when I tell people to stop apologizing for themselves, um, when I have literally no emotional reaction to numbers that people call out for their body measurements to me, it doesn't matter. It's just data. It's just facts. I just need to know them so that I can make you close. Um, it does not affect your worth or your beauty or, you know, any, it doesn't say anything about you. Um, and, and because of the way society is built, every little thing that I share on the internet, whether it's an image of accurate representation of people, or it's a slide where I'm calling out the fashion industry for how they behave, it doesn't matter what it is, it's all tied back into creating a truly safe and actively um, inclusive space that makes people feel, um, again, validated and seen and heard. I want to touch on that um, quickly. I, do you feel that as women or feminine, um, that we tend to portray ourselves in a too judgmental way, personally and to others? Yes, 150 million percent. Um, and it's everyone. It's not, you know, people of a certain size are not a model. No. Um, yeah. All people of all sizes, all backgrounds um, do a lot of that to me, whether it's a virtual measurement session, whether it's somebody that I see in person, whether honestly, it might be somebody that I'm doing an interview with something like this, where I, I'm not talking to them as a designer, I'm talking to them as a fellow business owner, whatever the case may be. The person that I jump on the Zoom with might just immediately start off by like apologizing about themselves, apologizing they didn't put makeup on today or like they're not dressed up enough or what, whatever they are insecure about. And I am constantly being like, you don't need to apologize to me for you showing up however you showed up. Like you showed up, that's all, that's all I asked you to do. I didn't ask you to show up and like, make sure you have perfectly matched concealer and foundation all over your face. I don't care. Like, <laughs> um, but it is so ingrained that like our outside appearances are for other people's consumption. And so we are constantly apologizing for it. And then yes, that also does reverberate back outwards when people decide that because they are insecure, um, they are allowed to comment on other people, people's appearances as if those people then Oh, their uh, you know appearances to them, which is also inappropriate, and that's another thing that um, I feel very strongly about is like monitoring your online spaces. Uh, you know, there will literally never be an inappropriate or negative comment on any of my platforms for longer than it takes for me to see it and get rid of it and block the person. Um, I have no <laughs> no qualms about that. Um, my models are so incredible and I'm so grateful to them for lending me their likeness and in the bare minimum of that exchange I owe them a safe space for their likeness to exist so I don't tolerate anything from anyone yeah I take a different stance and I understand why you take yours because I, and I applaud that I think that's magical and congratulations for being the advocate for these women of of all um shapes and sizes and and giving them a safe space i take a different stand i'm the person who will wade in and tell people that they are assholes and i will publicize that person for the derogatory disgusting remarks that come out of their mouth so 
I love what you're doing. I just tend to be the don't fuck with me. I will make everybody know your name because you are disgusting and you must be destroyed. Person. That's also very fair. And I want to say that like, it really depends on the comment, right? So if somebody is being just outright nasty, rude, whatever they, I don't, I don't engage with that person um, because it's, it's not worth my personal time or emotional energy. I will say that if, sir, if somebody comments and it, it seems like, you know, they're not intending to be malicious, but they're just so entrenched in this terrible diet culture that exists. Um, and maybe they are coming from like a, uh, like a scared place or an uninformed place, but they seem like they have good intentions. I will go those, give those folks the benefit of the doubt and like gently push back, um, to those people. If then they turn into exhibit a people, like I push back on them and their responses to flare up and whatever, then they get removed. But a lot of people, especially in the space that I've created online, um, appreciate pushback and appreciate uh, corrections um you know my models represent people of all across the gender spectrum so that's some that's the thing i'm pushing back the most or most often is people like calling my models all ladies or women or whatever um and i'm constantly saying not all of our models are ladies or women please be gender inclusive when you're speaking about them um and I would say 99% of people are like, oh my God, you're right. So sorry, let me correct myself. And they correct themselves. So um, I do think that there is a like give and take of who you decide to interact with and try to talk to about what they've done and who you just go, no, this isn't allowed here. Yeah, as a mom of a, a trans child, I applaud you for that. And I also say that I still get it wrong all of the time because I've spent 40 odd, nearly 40 years speaking in one way and now I have yeah. to learn a whole new language so I never weighed in on people who are getting it wrong as long as they correct themselves and are gracious enough to correct <laughs> themselves too because that is the most important thing I have found so mm -hmm. if anyone wants to have a look at your brand speak to you you know become part of your community or wants to buy from you where can they find you so the website is smartglamour.com. That's spelled S-M-A-R-T-G-L-A-M-O-U-R.com. Um, on every platform, except for Instagram, we are just smartglamour, one word. Instagram, we are smart underscore glamour. Um, but also, you know, if you just Google my name or you Google smart glamour, you'll find all of those things and you can click right through. That's awesome. So Mallory, we're coming to the end of the podcast and I end all of the podcasts with the eight mile moment. So I don't give a shit what anyone thinks about me. I love Eminem and he does all of his rap battles by saying the worst things about him. He's skinny, as white, his mum lives in a trailer so that his opponent can't say anything bad back to him. So Mallory, what are the worst things about you? Oh, geez. Um... I guess the worst things about me would be I am incredibly impatient, um, which like sometimes is a good thing, but also sometimes it's a bad thing. Um, that uh, I'm also a sensitive person, which again is can be good and bad, but sometimes it's to my detriment because I take things very personally. Um, And then probably this is more just like a bad thing, but it's really only bad for me is that I'm just uh, not super capable of relaxing, um, which is <laughs> not a great quality to have. Do not recommend. <laughs> Do you know what? I completely understand that though. I definitely am 
you know, one of those people that struggles to relax sometimes. So that is not such a bad thing. I uh, <laughs> understand where that's coming from. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Mad- Mallory. Thank you for having me. I just did it again. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And as always, if anyone else wants to be on the podcast or you want to sponsor a podcast, you can contact us at podcast at find-surveyors.co.uk. Say goodbye, Mallory. Thank you. Bye, everybody.